Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Ah, thinking about gas mileage. You know, changing your oil with a full synthetic oil like Castrol Edge can help your engine get more miles. Right now, you can get five quarts with an STP Extended Life oil filter for only $36.99. Get started on your next job today with the parts you need when you need them at AutoZone or AutoZone.com. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Restrictions apply. Welcome to The Fast Track, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello and welcome to the Fast Track. I'm your co-host, I guess, Scott Benjamin, and I'm joined by Kurt Guerin, who is the normally just the producer on the show, and I shouldn't say just, but normally the producer on the show. And we've brought Kurt, got him behind the mic recently, and uh, and it's worked out pretty well. So we're gonna we're gonna stick with it, Kurt, if that's all right with you. Yeah, that's fine with me. Okay, good. Well, we've got one today that I think is going to pique your interest and hopefully the interest of a lot of our listeners as well. We are going to talk about a very specific event, a very um, it's kind of I think it's a one of a kind. I I've never heard of an event like this any other place in the world, really. It's it's different than a drag race, but it's called the Texas Mile, and it has a lot of similarities to a drag race, but there's, a, there's variations to this whole thing. I mean, this is a very, this is a unique competition of speed, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's worthwhile for us to dig into this. And I, I do want to tell you, Kurt, um, just so that you're uh, not, not taking off guard by this, but um, we, uh, we have done a previous episode of this uh, on the Car Stuff program. Uh, so you know that that was the other podcast that I worked on for many, many years. So, you know, this archive goes back all the way to 2008. And back in August of 2012, uh, so this is seven years ago, we did a full uh, episode with uh, with my co-host at the time, Ben Bolin and myself. Uh, we did a an episode that really was kind of the ins and outs of the Texas Mile and kind of what, it was all, what it's all about and where it was and everything and the record holders that were, you know, the current record holders and how some strategies, I guess, to, to get the best time and, you know, whatever. We just had a whole bunch of topics that were, we covered in there. Of course, all of that's changed now uh, mm-hmm. since uh, since 2012, and uh, I mean, it's seven years later. You can imagine that not only has technology grown in leaps and bounds, you know, since then, uh, you know, the guys building the cars are, are learning a lot more, and they're and they're they're going faster and faster every year. Uh, there's been some notable events that are things, I guess, events you can call it events, I guess, that happened, and uh, there's even been a change of venue since then. I mean, it, it, there's a lot different, and that's right. That's the reason, I guess, that we are covering this one more time on the fast track and of course the fast track how could you not cover something like the texas mile yeah it's an actual fast track 
Like oh, the Nurburgring from last week. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's it's it, just just real quick, and I, I want uh, I, I'll be honest with you. We're going to jump into the topic a little bit later. There's a little bit of other stuff that I want to talk to you about before we start here, but I, I want to talk to you just a, just a second about what you what's your gut feeling about the the Texas Mile. I mean, just just like a general when you first heard about this. Initially, I compared it to a drag race, mm-hmm. um, but as I looked into it a little bit more, I I drew vast differences between this particular type of racing and a drag race. First of all, it's a time trial type setup. Mm -hmm. It's not two cars aren't competing against each other. It's more like a qualifying event and a drag race would be more than a head-to-head race. But but what I mean, getting we'll get to the specifics. I yeah, think. yeah. But but getting to like specifically what you thought when you first saw like maybe a car going. Uh, I'm going to say I'm t- above 200 miles per hour. That's not the record, by the way. We'll tell you what the record is later in the show. But uh, let's say if we, the first time you saw a car achieve 200 miles per hour in one mile. You know, from uh, standing still. I mean, that's it's it's crazy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is crazy. I'm used to seeing drag races in a quarter mile. Very different types of cars. Yeah, it's not it's not over in a few seconds. So there's a lot of factors that come into play. Um, mm-hmm. Cooling is one of them. Yeah. Um, and we saw some interesting cooling tactics, didn't we? Yeah. Normally, they would cool the car with air flowing through holes in the sure. car. Yeah. That's not the way to go fast. You want to make the car as slick as possible. So there's other techniques that they use to cool the engines down. That's a good way to put it. I like how you said that because, like, you can't have a ton of openings and vents and, I guess, full face of a vehicle that you normally would have. You're yeah. trying to minimize that because these are modified cars we'll talk about. And uh, there's there are different tactics that these racers employ to go and do what they do on these, uh, well, it's two weekends a year. And again, all of this we're going to get to, I promise, because the Texas Mile is is definitely an interesting and unique event in, in a lot of ways. And and I, you can see my notes are crazy again today. I, I have a pile of notes in front of me, and, and for new listeners or listeners that aren't familiar with uh, with my note system, I, I'm very analog. I've got uh, I've got printed notes in front of me. Of course, Kurt just has his laptop. He's uh, he's very high tech. Um, I have just gone with uh, you know pen and paper, and I've got tabs and you know notes on the tabs that you know point me to different places and notes that lead me to other notes, and it's just kind of a mess. And Kurt laughs at me, but it works for me. And you'll you'll hear this kind of paper shuffling through the whole thing. That's me. I'll try to keep it to a minimum, but. Uh, before we begin, I want to ask you a couple questions, and one is just kind of, you know, neighborly chit-chat, I guess. Did you do anything at all automotive-related over the last week or so, or last weekend? Just curious, mm. because I know you're kind of a, a car guy yourself. Yeah, not really. Uh, mm-hmm. This past weekend, I did take a road trip to Augusta, Georgia for an oh. arts festival. Well, that's cool. Um, so I was in my car, straight shot down I-20 mm-hmm. and back. Yeah, that's good. Is it, I mean, how long is the drive from here? Um, About two hours and 15 minutes. Oh, that's not bad. No. Not bad. It's a, so just a day trip, really. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. All right, cool. I, uh, let's see, what did I do? I did some, uh, oh, gosh, this sounds real boring right now, but I mean, I did some uh, just polishing and, you know, um, scuff removal and that kind of stuff. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, yeah, I've got a kind of a banged up front bumper on my car, and it's got a crack in it right now. So I'm, I'm looking to do something that's called, this, this is the term I've seen used for it, called the drifter's... I think it's called the drifter's stitch, and it's something that people have done. I've seen. I'm, is that with zip ties? It is. Yeah. Okay, I've okay. seen that before. Okay, yeah. yeah. And you know what? It's surprisingly easy to do, and surprisingly holds well and really well. Um, I've done it already on this repair, just in a minor way. But I did it in a um, a very 
not haphazard. I mean, it looks good. You can't even see them hardly that that's mm-hmm. there. It makes the makes the crack in the bumper disappear really, mm-hmm. and holds everything together. It's it's just you drill a couple holes in each side of the crack and then run a zip tie through, and you do that a couple of times. It looks like uh, like stitches that you would put in somebody's uh, you know body, you know, mm-hmm. ar- you know, head, arms, wherever you get a cut. Um, it's it's a lot like that. Um, oh, my voice cracked there. That's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, like anybody would go and get stitches at the doctor. It's it's very similar for your bumper, and it's it's a low cost easy way to do a repair. I mean, it, it, you know, I guess it depends on the color of the vehicle. I've got a dark, dark blue vehicle, so I'm using black zip ties, and uh, you know, the wound in the in the bumper pretty much disappears. It's mm-hmm. it's really nice, and I think I need um, maybe at the most like two more stitches to make this whole thing work. And, How many uh, are in there at the moment? Right now, I've got three. Three? Um, okay. Yeah, three, and I mean, I need two more. I've, I've just discovered that, you know, the the uh, the supporting structure behind it was jostled just enough that it's not quite holding up in the corners. So I need to add some to the corners. I know this is all very uh, specific to uh, to me and my my car, but I wonder if anybody else out there has has done, either done you know this this drifter stitch or has heard of it or anything like that. If you haven't, look at it online. You look at some photos online, and uh, you'll see some good versions of it, some bad versions of it. And it, it looks kind of neat. It looks yeah. like a, like a Frankenstein uh, mm-hmm. kind of uh, repair made to a car, but um, it works in a pinch, and it definitely is not going to cost you a whole lot of money. Yeah. It makes makes a huge improvement in the way the car looks after you know a minor a minor incident. I've had a minor incident in my car. <laughs> <laughs> they employ this technique a lot up north, I believe. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Uh, what, what do you mean? Well, that's where I've seen it. Oh, okay. Well, like where? Last time was in Boston. It snows a lot there, so maybe yeah. there's they you hit things a little more often. <laughs> or the one I saw last was, I didn't count, but I, it looked about like 40 stitches yeah. in the yeah. corner of a bumper. That's impressive. And it looked, yeah. No dent. It was just a straight crack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? And about it? 40 zip, t- um, <laughs> zip ties holding it together. It almost looks like a decal that somebody's put on the car, doesn't it? I had that, to look uh, close to appreciate it completely. Yeah, 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 that's interesting. And that's a great theory behind uh, behind why maybe you would see this more in the north. I I, I guess that's true. You I, can't I suppose... go get a new bumper every time you no, hit no. a little something. You should. You can't <laughs> so what get... happened, Scott? You, what happened? Uh, tell, you want to tell uh, us the story, I, or is it too painful? I will tell you. I, you know what? <laughs> I, in a, I'll, I'll have to do this, and I, I hate to do this. I, I've already promoted our other show, the car stuff, but... I'm going to have to promote my other show, which is Insomniac, and uh, the full story of that, uh, you know, that incident is there, mm-hmm. and uh, exactly oh, okay. what happened. But okay. uh, there's a there's a good long story behind it. I'll tell you off air, but um, I think I'll just refer listeners to uh, Insomniac, and it comes later in the season. But yeah, I had um, yeah I had a little incident here um, in the office area in the uh, parking okay. structure, bumped a wall. Uh, just to cut a it short, I mean, that's it. Was it one of the columns? Oh, now you're going to make me tell the whole story. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a column. No, it was, uh, it was on one of the ramps. But um, anyways. There's buried. so much damage on those columns down there, and I'm wondering who's doing it all. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a first for me, and hopefully... Hopefully now it's been the last, but okay. I, okay, I do I do know that we have to get to our topic today. There's one other thing that has been just bugging me, and not bugging me, but but intriguing me, I suppose, for the last couple of weeks since you mentioned this. And, uh, you know, we are going to get to Texas Mile, don't worry. I see you're getting ready. Getting anxious. But, uh, you're getting anxious. Yeah, you're getting jumpy over there. <laughs> um, I want to talk just a slight bit about your brother's cars, because I'm intrigued by this. Mm-hmm. You said your brother is one of these types of personalities that likes to both upgrade and downgrade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. It seems like it's not like he's, like, not focused on one type of car because of the types of cars that you've told me he's owned. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm just fascinated by this because I, I often will find, as probably a lot of other listeners do, you'll find on used car lots, you know, relatively new cars, maybe even the same model year that you're in right now. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody bought them the previous year as that model year. Low mileage, like they look pristine, they look brand new, very low mileage. But you're wondering, why the heck would somebody buy, you know, this brand new car, this uh, WRX STI or whatever, and and dump it off in the, the used car lot you know, six or seven or eight months later and then trade up to something else? Or, you know, what's the story behind that? And I think, and maybe just tell me a little bit about, like, what, like, how many cars has he owned and, like, what are some of the, the crazy ones? What does he own now? That kind of thing. Yeah, I would just be speculating a, a, the number. That's okay. Um, I re- I think that he really enjoys a sports car. Mm-hmm. Well, what's he driving this, now? I believe it's a Honda Accord. A Honda Accord, I don't know okay. the year model. Okay. Um, And I haven't seen it. Yeah. yeah. So but before traded... that, it was um, Toyota Prius. Yeah. So it was a hybrid. Okay. And then um, before that, it was a Ford Focus. Yeah, but it wasn't just any Focus, as I, as I hear it. Now, was um, it? wasn't it a Focus RS? You said I, it was a top-end Focus. So. I think so. Focus um, may have been the ST. I'm not sure if it was. Oh, okay. Um, but it, was still, it even, was still pretty decent. Even so, even if it's the ST. Still a wonderful car, but going from the ST down, and I'm going to say down to a Prius, and someone's going to... It's just a completely different type well, of it, ride. It is, yeah, and I, I shouldn't say, you know, it's downgrading or anything like that. I just mean it's, it's a strange switch. You know, it's like somebody going from a Corvette to a station wagon or a minivan and then going back again to a Camaro or, you know, whatever the sports car may be. It's like it's it's just intriguing to me to find somebody who switches cars so often because I, I don't do that myself. I mean, mm-hmm. I hold on to them for a decent amount of time, but people do have limits. You know, either it's a year limit or just maybe a condition limit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be mileage, like I said, you know, 100,000 miles, 200,000 miles, whatever the limit for them is. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people are comfortable with a car up to a point and then they move on. So, but some people change it like they change their shoes you know yeah, like a, my like feeling really, is it's kind of like a hobby yeah my, i've got a i've got a younger brother who changes cars but they're not new cars you, it's always used cars and they're always a little you know on i don't know it's hard, they're lower end vehicles i guess mm-hmm. and um you know he may end up with like a like i think right now he's driving a bmw m3 but it's 15 years old or you know whatever yeah. the age is i don't remember right now um it's a little rough around the edges but it's a great car and it's running fantastically and everything and so it's it's a good car for him but you know, he went from a, a Ford Explorer to that, and then he'll go back to a pickup truck, and then he'll like he'll move around, but not new vehicles and not top of the line vehicles like yeah. that. You know, or they were top of the line, but ten, fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's just a it's a strange thing that some people do, and I'm, I'm just always been fascinated by people switching cars so often. Yeah, you know, that can't find myself doing. I kind of want to be that person, but I don't think I have the guts. To uh, uh, to continually trade, I, I feel like I'm getting somebody else's problems. Maybe I drive my cars until they're useless. Basically, oh, okay. Yeah. So they're like the trade-in value is almost nothing, well, and then pretty you know, much, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, you get over two hundred and fifty thousand miles, and oh. then. Maybe even more than that. That's impressive. Just very good. Something about it. <laughs> That's good. I, I try to hold on to mine as long as I can. They stay in pretty good shape outside of like my banged up bumper on this one. That's mm-hmm. that's upset to me. This is like this is really personally upsetting because I try to keep them looking almost new inside and outside as long as I can, mm-hmm. and, and I've been pretty successful with it my whole life. Mm-hmm. Th- this little minor incident with the front end. 
is really, really upsetting to me. And I, you know, I, I know you can take it to the body shop and just have be done with it, but it's expensive. And I don't know, maybe it's too much inside baseball about my own vehicle, but uh, but I think a lot of people find themselves in the same position and look into that, um, you know, that uh, drifter stitch if you want to, uh, for for a simple answer or an inexpensive answer. It's uh, yeah, it's, maybe it's, try it yourself. Yeah, it's an option. Yeah, it's an option. Maybe you could even practice on, you know, a junkyard bumper or something if you wanted to, but it's very easy to do. Very, very simple to do. And uh, and a, a lot less money than taking it to a body shop. A lot less. For sure. Yeah, okay. Well, listen, I, I probably have wasted more than enough time. I think maybe it would be a good time to take a break and we can come back and then finally begin our talk about the Texas Mile. Does sleeping hot keep you up at night? Meet the Lisa Chill Collection. These cooling mattresses work like magic with a cool-to-the-touch cover, zoned springs, and comfy foam layers. Say goodbye to restless nights and wake up refreshed. Lisa's Chill Mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers that whisk away heat so you always sleep just right. These hybrids blend up to 1,032 breathable springs and plush foams for the ultimate cooling and comfort. And the Chill Collection doesn't just feel great, it looks great too with thoughtful design and pillowy quilt tops. No matter your budget, Lisa has a chill mattress for you. For a limited time, save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash iHeart. With Lisa, your purchase has purpose. Every year, Lisa donates thousands of mattresses to those in need. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years. Have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. And we're back, and you're listening to The Fast Track, and I'm your host, Scott Benjamin. And across from me is Kurt Guerin. How are you doing, Kurt? I'm doing well, Scott. Still, How are you? Still hanging in there, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay, sure good. Thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep checking in with you. Just to uh, make until, sure I'm still here. Until finally, you know, one day I'm going to say, you know, I'm your host, Scott Benjamin, and one day you're going to say... I'm just going to jump right you're gonna, in. You're going to be like, and I'm Kirk Garrett, and today's a beautiful day or whatever. I don't know, something like that. It is know? real beautiful out there. <laughs> it actually it is. is. It's a really nice day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know what? 
Now that we're talking about beautiful days, I guess we probably should mention that uh, it will probably be a beautiful day in late October in Texas, just guessing, when they are running the next edition of the Texas Mile. This is a an event that runs twice a year. They run it in March, which is no problem for them. There's going to be no snow, of course. Uh, you might, might have some rain issues. I don't know if they ever have or not. Between March and then uh, there's another one in October. So it's, a, it's run twice a year, every year. And this year, they are running it at a new place. Actually, they have for a couple of years now, called the Victoria Regional Airport. It's in Victoria, Texas, and they've completed this race since, and I, I keep calling it a race. I don't mean to do that. It's, we should just say event, maybe, mm-hmm. and just call it an event or... It's a speed event? Yeah, I, and it's weird. They they call it an, here's the funny thing is, they, they put it in the uh, in the genre of auto show, and I, it's not an auto show by any means. I don't I don't know why they did that, but I see it more as like a contest or even a test of your vehicle or a mm-hmm. um, an exhibition. An exhibition of speed, maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, a proving ground. Yeah, it's, I think it, it, a lot of people do look at it as a test event. Yeah, sure. I think that's how they view it. I mean, it's a chance for them to go out and just show what they can do, show what they can put together. It's not a show in the traditional sense where you walk around the car and peek in and look at the interior, but you can see it run down the track. Which is nice, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice to be able to do that because a lot of times you don't see cars in motion. You go to a car show and uh, you see all these fantastic vehicles, but they're all parked. Yeah. You know, you might get to hear them start up or watch them pull onto a trailer or something like that. But this is one where you get to go and see them actually run. It's it's like, you know, going to the drag races, like where it's amateur and pro and, you know, it's kind of a big mix. And yeah, I guess any day at the track, really, but you don't get quite as up close and personal when you're at the typical racetrack unless you spring for the optional pit pass and, you know, get to go and walk around the vehicles and get a little more hands-on or not, not hands-on, but just, you know, closer mm-hmm. to them and talk to people. Mm-hmm. Let's just kind of go through some real simple basics of, the, of this whole thing and then and uh, we'll move on to some specifics because there's some interesting specifics, I guess. Most notable change, I guess, is the change in venue. I mean, it, this is its third home since 2003. It's been run since 2003. It, it began in a place called um, Goliad, Texas. Goliad, and I looked up how to pronounce Goliad. That's that's correct. Uh, <laughs> Goliad, it was ran there until about, I think, March of 2011. So it ran there for a good long time, around eight years. The funny thing about this is that it started with only about 35 people. People. It was began by a couple out of the Houston, Texas area, a guy named Jay Mattis and his wife, uh, Sharon Mattis. And they had a company, I think, that they called JNS Mattis Motorsports Incorporated. And I'm sure that that's still around. I think or I think it is in some way. Of course, the couple's still, still around. They're, they're still running this thing. It started, again, 35 participants and almost no spectators because no one really knew about the event. It wasn't, high, you know, heavily promoted. Yeah, I guess the people that participated probably told friends maybe, mm-hmm. and, and that was about it. But very few people showed up to that. It's a lot different today, isn't it? I mean, we, yeah. they've changed venues three times. They, the second move after they went from Goliad, they went to, uh, the town's name is Beeville, Texas, and the the forum or the, the actual venue is Chase Field Industrial Complex. Then they finally relocated just in 2017 to uh, the new place that they're running, which is the Victoria Regional Airport, which is in Victoria, Texas. Now, these are all kind of around the Houston area, which makes sense, you know, from where the couple uh, began. And they don't want to move it too far, I guess, because it's, you know, it's a it's a regional specialty event. But the number of spectators has gone up 
immensely from this. The number of participants has gone up incredibly from from the uh, first days. Just it's become a huge, huge thing. And it's one of the only places you can go and enter your car and test it out in, in an event like this. Of course, there's regional drag strips that you can go to every Thursday night or whatever and yeah. see what you can do. But to get on a mile in a straight line, have professional timing equipment and medical staff and just everything there sure. for you to do this, it's it's rare that you find that. I don't know how much is it to to sign you up. You know, I was looking it. at number. I, I Maybe might have the had average an, person can't do it, do it anymore. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I, I wouldn't be so sure for an event like this because it seems what, like they try to keep it somewhat open. At let, least. let me just. I'm just going to just let it out here. I, why not? I, why hold back on this? But here's a, here's a. An, just an idea of what you're paying for these. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a, it's not a high dollar event like you would think. I'm looking right now at some information that came from the Texas Mile website, which is um, TexasMile.net. So if you want to go there and, and look up all this information, you can. But just so you get an idea of how low dollar this whole thing is, tickets for it's a three day event. It's a whole weekend. If you're a per, uh, just a, uh, a spectator. $25 per person for all three days. You just get a wristband for $25. It gets you in for three days of, of activities. And not only that, you can, even if you, if you wanted to, you could stay on site. You can camp there, I guess, on the, on the, on the property, which is really cool for a very low price. I mean, I know it sounds, well, just compare this to, to renting a hotel room, but one night is only 60 bucks. If you want to, want to stay two nights is 120 Three nights is $160, and uh, that's if you want to set up, you know, a motorhome or a camper on site and, and stay there. I don't know if they allow tents. Uh, the, you know, the information wasn't specific about that. You can contact them and find out. And I'm not trying to sell tickets for them or anything like that, I promise. But it says they do not sell out of tickets. <laughs> I guess they they never run out. But the number of spectators here and, you know, oh, I should say this, kids under 12 are free. Uh, so that's a bonus, too. I, I think that they're... Yeah, so $25 or free is really mm-hmm. the, uh, the the price point for something like this. I don't know what the registration is for the drivers. It can't be a whole lot of money. There's there's shaded seating, there's bleachers, uh, but they say you probably should bring a folding chair if you want to just kind of hang out in, you know, one of the grassy areas and watch and, mm-hmm. you know, catch everything because it is a long day. I yeah. mean, they start in the morning early, uh, goes all the way until dusk, I would guess. You know, it's not sunset, but dusk. Uh, so it's... Um, it seems like a good mix of cars, too. Uh, a oh, good yeah. mix of shops that are really into the speed and mm-hmm. then just average folks with nice cars and just want to go out there and run the mile. There's a healthy mix of both amateur and I would call them professional. They're like prof- these people that do the high speed runs are professional race shops, oh, professional engineers. Absolutely. And, yeah, they're, they're in shops building cars to specifically run in this event. And yeah. we're going to talk about one car in specific that w- was built, the, the record holder, of course. We'll get to that later in the podcast, I promise. Gosh, I'm, I'm all over the place. I, I apologize, Kurt and, and listeners, because um, I'm just skipping all over the place. But I feel like there's just a, there actually is a lot of new information. You know, the, the spectators and the number of, of entrants is something that we should talk about, because I just kind of breezed over that a moment ago. And I said, you know, back in 2003 in Goliad, they had 35 participants and almost no spectators. So there are very few people there outside of the timing individuals and, you know, the staff that operates it and the participants. There were very few people there outside of that. Well, now, as of 2018, or at the 2018 event, I think it was the March event, they had something like 2,600 spectators at this thing. So it's really grown in popularity. I can only assume that it will go up, you know, with social media, you know, reach and all that, you know, that, that they're kind of able to garner more attention from this community and from, you know, people that are interested in this sort of thing. And uh, not just from the United States, but 
everywhere. People mm-hmm. come from, you know, from Mexico, from Canada, from Saudi Arabia, from France. They're from all over the world yeah. now participating in this thing, which is really cool. And the number of participants, they went from 35 again in 2003. It's climbed steadily. Now they allow something like 250 or more participants. And I, One thing about this particular event that piques people's interest, when you throw it back to the beginning of spectator-type racing, mm-hmm. which I guess goes back to the beginning of the car, Sure. Um, the fact that you can watch these cars do this thing and maybe it's something that you can go and watch with that hope of maybe one day you can get your car out there and do it. Yeah. Um, unlike going to a professional sports car race or IndyCar or NASCAR, you can't really dream of doing that if you're just the spectator or the fan. Yeah, well, like you you said earlier that this is a nice, healthy mix of people that have built a car in their garage Mm -hmm. and want to bring it out and try it. It could be a really, like, kind of a hot street car Mm -hmm. that they have just never been able to really push to the maximum, to the limit. And it also could be, like, these shops that specifically build cars for this event with the one-mile run in mind, and that's the main goal, and that's all they do. They just do that with that one car, and, you know, they might have a um, customer that comes in and says, I want to be in this. Here's my budget. Here's the car I want to start with. Here's, you know, whatever. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they have lots of sponsors and all that. It's, it's a lot like professional racing would be for some people. But you don't. what you don't see is you don't see, like, a Formula One team pull up with their F1 car and run this mile. You don't yeah. see, and, and honestly, they would probably be beaten by some of the guys that build cars in their own garage, which is a, a, unbelievable to me. I'm, and it's, it's such a strange contest. And yeah. maybe... Maybe we should talk about just like, I hope I'm saying this right way, the right way, but some of the uniqueness of this event because there's so many things about it that are different. So first of all, it's a full mile run. It's not a quarter mile like you would find in a drag strip. It's not a long distance run either. It's it's a full, I guess a mile is a long distance, but you start. It's a standing start. A standing start. Not a rolling start as the speed record would be, for example. Yeah, like a land speed record. Generally, they want to get up to a certain speed before they start the clock. Yeah, so, okay, so when we ta- start talking about times, and or not times, rather, because uh, that's another thing I want to talk about, but when we start talking about start talking about like top speeds in this one mile, you got to remember, it's a car that's going zero miles per hour. The clock starts. As it crosses that one mile mark, That's the, the all they're measuring is just the speed, not the time. And that's unique in that if you're going for a top speed run, typically, like if you're out in Utah on the salt flats or, you know, any desert run or anything like that, you know, we've talked about the thrust SSC and, you know, the land speed record attempts. And we'll probably talk many more times about stuff like that. But they have the advantage of having this kind of a ramp up, I guess, a long, long run. It could be miles long to, to ramp up to the speed. Then there's a, like a timed mile. Uh, and then they have a long way to, to shut down. Well, this one is just that mile. So you don't get to start at 180 miles an hour and then try to get to, you know, 250 miles an hour. You have to start at zero and try to get to 250 miles an hour in that short amount of space. The speeds are measured um, along the way and, and displayed to the spectators. So there's great big boards that have LED readouts that, you know, show the speeds at, I, I believe it's a quarter mile and then another at a, at a half a mile. And then they give them the final mile speed. I don't think they bother with three-quarter mile speed. If they do, I haven't seen it in any of these videos. Um, but one of the things that strikes me is, like, even the, qu- the quarter-mile speeds are about what you would expect from a dragster. Uh, like, you watch, you watch like, the, um, you know, the private teams at, at drag strips, and you get about what you would think out of that. The half-mile speed goes up considerably. I mean, they're going really, really fast. A lot of them are at this point. Then you have the mile speed, and... What's 
What's shocking to me a lot of times is the difference in speed, as you you said this to me off air, the difference in speed, you, you would not expect it to jump up so much between the half mile and the full mile, yeah. but it does. Yeah. Well, even between the quarter mile and the half mile, I look at it as the first quarter mile, they try to get the car to hook up. As, mm-hmm. as opposed to a drag race, you want it to, to hook up right away. Yeah. So the first quarter mile is kind of getting everything stable because mm-hmm. you're going to start going much faster in, in cars that aren't necessarily designed to go that fast, or, or at least from the factory. So No, they're not. So, no. um, and I guess one, the point I'm getting at is from the half mile to the end, that's when they're really applying the power and trying to keep everything stable and just... It's just interesting how... how how much you could trying to hook up all that power to the pavement in a half a mile is interesting to to watch that increase in speed. Oh, I agree. And you, and what we're accustomed to seeing from the production car speeds when we watch these record attempts from whether it be Bugatti or Lamborghini or whoever is running the or Ferrari or any of those that run these top end speed records or Kona Seg or any of those. Once you get to a certain point at the in those cars, they relatively slowly increase speed after about uh, I think it's like after. Right Right around 200 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like that's the, when things start to get a, get a little dicey. I think. Yeah. Well, especially I've heard, between <laughs> between like 250 and 300. I mean, super incredible. Again, watching one of the one of the production cars do it, attempted it in a very professionally made YouTube video. You know, that is done in Germany. And uh, again, I'm going to get to it. But it, we, we kind of have already talked about it. The guy says, and, and this is the way he put it. I'll paraphrase. He says, you know, a lot of people or, or most people will at some point be able to achieve 150 miles per hour in their life on in a car. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about most, but a lot. And again, this is a guy from, he's a German race car driver, so he probably has a skewed view of what people can yeah. do. On the, let's say a few people are going to go 150. But he, then he says, you push it a little bit more and you go 180 miles an hour, and that's a lot different than going 150 miles an hour. There's a big difference and you wouldn't expect it. He said, if you go from 180 to 200 miles an hour, that's like a whole different world. They said, like, it's it's something that you only can get through experience. Like, you don't know what that feels like until you've done it. Mm-hmm. And then he said, once you go from 200 miles an hour to 300 miles an hour, it becomes like this ridiculous, just, I don't know, just a, a mess. Like, it, it really messes with your head is what I mean. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's not, you, things aren't aren't happening when you, sh- you would normally perceive them to happen. It's, it's, it's much, much faster, and it just doesn't make sense to your brain. You can't even comprehend what, what's happening because, you know, everything is flying past you at such a great rate of speed. And, you know, we're not talking about being in a desert area where these runs are made, these production car runs are made. They're made on a track in Germany that has trees near it and guardrails yeah. and, you know, cameras and everything all over the place It's and lines on the road. It's a lot different. You get that real sensation of speed. Getting back to the Texas Mile... It's not just cars, because we're just talking about cars right now. It's uh, it's cars, it's sports cars, it's motorcycles, it's trucks, it's purpose-built race cars that come out and do it. and Electric cars. Electric cars. Yeah. yeah, there's all kinds of categories. They have this electric car that is the fastest. I need to make sure I phrase this right, because I'm sure there's nuances oh, in I the world. Oh, I bet there are. Yeah, don't, don't so worry if you uh, miss one. The no. world's <laughs> fastest accelerating modified road car, 0 to 60 miles per hour in 1.79 seconds. 1.79 seconds. <laughs> yeah. 
It kind of makes sense for electric, I guess, to be the fastest because it has instant torque. Like every bit of the torque is available the second you push that accelerator. However, I'm surprised that they're measuring zero to 60 speed. That must be just kind of their own thing. Probably, yeah. But the yeah. top, I think I know which one you're, you're talking about. The uh, this is a this is an older car that they've retrofitted with this electric is a 60s power. This 60s model Mustang. A 68. 68, yeah. 68 Mustang fastback, and they call it the Zombie 222. And I wonder, you know, okay, because they call it the 222, I wonder if that's their goal, if that's what they're shooting for. That one actually has the electric vehicle speed record in the in the uh, Texas Mile at 178 miles per hour, and it did that back in March of 2015, and it hasn't been beaten since. Um, 178 miles per hour is pretty darn impressive for a six. Think about the aerodynamics of a 68 Mustang fastback. Imagine pushing that up to 178 in just one mile. I mean, that's that's impressive. That's yeah. that's the impressive part. Yeah. If you had 10 miles, maybe you could get it up to that speed. Maybe. Yeah. You know, you have to have a safe area to do it and all the testing and everything, you know, to go along with it. But I think the one-mile thing is probably the, the most important or yeah, the most, I don't know, the, the most, yeah, maybe the most important number in this whole thing, yeah. really. Did they I, ever run the Texas kilometer? <laughs> I don't think they have, no. Not in Texas. I think you'd get shot if you even, uh, if you even mentioned the, the kilometer in yeah. uh, Texas. But, you know, we should, you know, we should say this, though, and I know we've been just doing miles per hour here because we're a U.S.-based show, but... I guess for anyone who's interested, the top speed, if, you, if you're talking about going 300 miles per hour, if 300 miles per hour is something like 483 kilometers per hour, and the distance that we're talking about here would be, if you're doing, four, you're, you're getting a vehicle to 483 kilometers per hour in just 1.6 kilometers of roadway, if you want to look at it that way. So it's, those are the types of distances and speeds we're talking about. If, if you've been confused by the mile per hour thing or, you know, having to go to your, uh, your conversion chart and rapidly, you know, punch in numbers. Before we take a break, I want to say one more thing. And I only want to do this because I don't like to end on a sad note. And I think we should talk about something a little bit sad. Well, it was sad, but it's not breaking news sad, I guess. It didn't happen just now. Something a lot of people probably already know about, and uh, we'll come back with some happy news in in just a moment. But one of the guys that we talked about in the previous podcast, in the Car Stuff episode in 2012, we were talking about him just breaking the record. You know, he had had just achieved a a record of something like 278.6 miles per hour at the the Texas Mile, and he was the current record holder. He was on a motorcycle. His name was uh, Bill Warner. Of course, we were talking about him in the present tense. He was still around doing what he was doing, but unfortunately, Bill Warner died not much later, the very next year, in a motorcycle accident, um, doing, of course, doing what he does, and, or what he did, uh, which is, a, you know, achieving land speed records. So he broke the uh, the record again. He broke the, uh, the 300-mile-per-hour barrier in 2011 at a different event, I believe, and then that is when, actually, you know what, that's when we had our podcast, right after the 311. So we were you know, ooing and eyeing about the, uh, you know, getting past 311 miles per hour on a motorcycle on pavement at, at that time. And again, some specifics I can go into in just a second. But just after that, in July of 2013 is when uh, when he died. Um, again, not breaking news by any means, but I think that we need to mention it because of, you know, the the focus that we had on him in the first podcast that we did. This bike at the time that he was riding had something like 650 horsepower on a motorcycle. It's a Hayabusa, and they, they call it a conventional motorcycle, you know, where the, the rider's exposed. It's a traditional motorcycle, I suppose. However, when you look at it, I mean, it's modified because it did have a turbo, did have panels put on it. Um, so it's kind of like, I guess, a street-modified 
Hayabusa with uh, with a turbo. Streamliner record is a lot faster. It's like another 70, 80 miles an hour faster than this. So, you know, once you enclose the rider, it becomes much more aerodynamic. But this he was in an open bike. And uh, again, he passed away, um, I believe it was in yeah July of uh, 2013. And it was while he was trying to break, um, break a record in, I think he was in Maine. He's only 44 years old, but we've heard of land speed record people. That's how they die. Um, they kind of know the, the risks and the the dangers involved in that and they accept that and uh, I'm sorry to hear that you know he, he passed but I figured we should just mention it um, you know that, that that's somebody who we've lost along the way I want to get into some happier news so let's uh, let's let's finish up by talking about the current record holder at the Texas Mile in just a minute after we take a break tired of restless nights meet Lisa the sleep experts <laughs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named Best Hybrid Mattress 5 Years Running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years. Have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. back and you're listening to the fast track and i'm your host scott benjamin and i am kurt garen oh you got it kurt great <laughs> yeah I, you caught me off guard yeah, a little I, bit just a little I bit jumped in there yeah, really yeah. quick <laughs> <laughs> I had to run over to the mic from the from the computer. Y'all out there couldn't see that. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, you're quick. Quick yeah. on your feet. Exactly. Yeah, good work. Good exactly. work. And I uh, didn't mean to catch you off guard. Faster I, than this uh, I, Ford GT we're about to talk about. Oh, yeah. Maybe right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so here's the deal. All right. The current record was just broken recently. This Now, this is um, – we're – 
doing this podcast in 2019, we are in between events in 2019. So there's already been the March of 2019 event, and there's going to be the October of 2019 event. We're doing this in uh, September, so right before this. And it's always the last weekend in March and the last weekend in October. Yeah, so if you want to plan for it in your in your schedules or you want to look up, you know, maybe a, a time when you can travel down to the Houston area and maybe catch this thing live, uh, definitely do that. I mean, it's it's a worthwhile thing. And you can go to, you know, I, I'll give you the website so you can go and look at it. What was it? Texas, uh, TexasMile.net. Yeah, TexasMile.net was the site. So check that out if you want to. Again, we're not selling tickets or anything, so... It's just an awesome event. Yeah, do it. Go see it if you're in Texas. Hey, do it if you want to. I, I don't care either anyway. way. I don't care either way if you go. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't mean to be flipping about it, but I don't, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> You'd like to go. I'd I, like to go. I, I personally would love to be there and witness one of these because yeah. I think it just it's just awesome. I would have loved to have been there last March to uh, see this. Yes. Okay, so last I mean, March, something incredible happened, right? Right. Okay, so what right. happened? Um, well, a Ford GT broke the 300-mile-per-hour mark three, at the Texas Mile. Three. Hundred miles per hour. Now, it's three. I think the actual record. I mean, just it's just barely above it. It's three hundred point four. Yeah. Okay. Three hundred point four. And I know that's nitpicky, but when you get to those speeds, that's going to be important, right? It matters. Yeah, because someone might go three hundred point five next year, and uh, and that will matter. Two ninety nine point nine. Is not three hundred. That's <laughs> just can, the that's just that's how it is. This is the current record that's held at the Texas uh, Texas Mile, and it's by a company that built this car specifically for uh, a customer that that wanted to do this or, or for themselves. I don't know if it's themselves or a customer. Not sure, but uh, the, the, it, yeah. It, the focus has always been on the company. Anyways, the, the company's name is M2K Motorsports, and the car itself is a is a first generation. I, I shouldn't say first. It's a, a version of the, the GT, the Ford GT that was put out back in the mid-2000s. So uh, it's a 2006 Ford GT, not the current one, not the, uh, not the you know, $400,000 one. This, it had a, a Gulf livery, which I think is really cool, you know, the blue and orange. The number on the car is significant. You know the number on the car? Just by no. the number on the car that they ran this year is 293. 293 was their previous record that they had made back in, I want to say it was 2017. Yeah, it was 2017. I think so so uh, 2017 is when they ran 293 miles per hour, and they were thinking, like, oh, we are so close to this. We're really, really close to this. And I, and I saw um, an interview that was done by the owner of this company on a local channel. It was, um, it was done on... KPRC. They interviewed the owner of the shop, and he said, you know, back when we started this whole project, it, the goal was something like 235 miles an hour. That was like the record, and that's what they wanted to beat. Mm-hmm. They wanted to go 235. He said 300 miles per hour is, it was never even a dream at that point. But as the years progressed, they decided that we've got to keep up with, you know, exactly what's going on and and, and keep up the speed with the, the current records. And, and we tune this and tweak that and, you know, re-engineer this part and make this a little more aerodynamic underneath the car or, you know, whatever. They they did a lot of work on the vehicle. And I, I'm, I know I'm just paraphrasing this in, in a horrible way, simplifying what they did exactly. But, the, but they brought the car back just... Two years later, and they ended up topping 300 miles per hour, and they did it in a series of, of several runs. Mm-hmm. And I kind of see it as, uh, as I think the Texas Mile people have, have confirmed, uh, these were kind of like shakedown runs for them. They knew that they could get close to 300 or 300. They were hoping for it. Of course, big celebration when they did hit it, but the early runs were nowhere near that speed. 
the, the earlier ones were relatively low speed. And, and of course, they weren't sandbagging because there's nothing, nothing to be gained from that. But over the course of a three-day weekend, you know, they ran, and I think I want to say it was four runs. The first run was something like 175 miles per hour, somewhere near there. The second run, they really, they, they amped it up at this point, 240 miles per hour in the next run. And that puts them already in an elite uh, group, I guess, because... The 200-mile-per-hour club is a big deal at the Texas Mile. If you can get your car to go 200 miles per hour, that's that's pretty impressive by any standard, really. I mean, I think that's cool. So they're already in that, and they had been before with their 293 or whatever. Um, the next run, the, uh, they say the third and final run, but I think there was a fourth run. I think there was another one stuffed in there somewhere that you know maybe didn't go so well that they didn't even report. The third and final run, which they're claiming is the third and final run, was the one that they re- they finally reached the three hundred point four mile per hour mark. And I'll tell you this: I, I I learned this along the way, and this is so impressive to me. You know, we talked about the difference between quarter mile, half mile, and full mile. At the half mile mark on the three hundred mile per hour run, they were already going two hundred and forty miles per hour. In a half mile. So that's incredibly fast already. They're already topping, you know, what a lot of cars do in the full mile at the half mile. And then not only that, they gained 60 miles per hour in between the half mile and the full mile. And to gain that, I'll I'll tell you in just a minute why that is so impressive to me. But to gain 60 miles per hour in in, in that relatively short amount of space... And I know that time doesn't come into this, but we're only talking about a run that, you know, from beginning to end is like maybe 22 seconds, 21 seconds, somewhere around there. That's the full length of time it takes them to go one full mile. So really, really impressive. I mean, it's just unbelievable that they were able to do that. But but again, it took them two years of engineering and refining and you know changing things around to be able to get that extra seven miles per hour out of this vehicle. And you know they were just working at it all the time, you know, trying to really amp this thing up to get it to uh, you know that 300 mile per hour mark because that's a huge milestone for them. They're always going to be in the record books as, as breaking that yeah. and, and doing that. So that's uh, kind of infamy for them, I yeah. suppose. And uh, one interesting thing to me is that it isn't necessary. I mean, it's a race car, but it's not necessarily a purpose-built dragster-type car. No. It's a, I'd say, standard 2006 Ford GT. Yeah, if you can but call it standard, right? Right. But it, <laughs> what, I, I mean, what I'm saying a, is, is a car's body itself is not engineered like a dragster would no, be, for it's example. A, it's, it's a road-going car. And, it, and so... Therefore, it has these built-in limitations to overcome, such as um, holes for mm-hmm. uh, the, the production car would have for uh, cooling and things like that. Yeah, I would even imagine tire width. I don't know if they mess with anything like that. I, I um, think that they had to. I want to tell you just a little bit more about the car itself. You mm-hmm. know, about the about the engine and just a tiny bit more because I don't know a whole lot about it. Just mm-hmm. a little bit, and then I want to like make this comparison between the production vehicles that are trying to achieve three hundred miles per hour and then what this company has done. Yeah, but it, it's you know, important this, to this, remember uh, that the car that's hitting the air, yeah, is basically. The Ford GT. It's not designed from the ground up to go fast. It's it was built upon an already existing car. Yeah, the engine not, block is, I think, a stock engine block as well. Is. Yeah, all that stuff to me is cool because it's not completely custom. Exactly, not completely custom. It's modified. It's modified. It's modified. But in a, but, I think it's in a tasteful way. I guess is what I'm trying <laughs> to get at. Yeah, you know, it's the car is a classic. Yeah. Oh yeah, and for sure. It's. It's cool to see this classic car go 300 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's. I, you've said a mouthful here. I don't even know where to begin. It's fascinating to me that they can take that design and push it to that extreme. We were talking about the Bugatti 
Yeah. Um, that just the production car that yeah. did 300 miles an hour. Yeah. And it was designed with this in mind. Yeah. The body reshapes itself at certain speeds. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen on this car. Yeah, no. And, no. and there's so many little nuances to what we're talking about here. And I know we're not going to do it justice by having this discussion. Maybe we can have a, a different discussion, I think we should someday, about these modified versus production car requirements, standards, you know, whatever, the arguments against mm-hmm. and for and all that. I think that there's a lot there that we can talk about, a, a ton. And I know we've already mentioned a few. But, yeah, when you start talking about, like, tires that have to go 300 miles per hour, you're not going to go down to the general tire store and pick those up. No. It is, a, it is an extremely sleek looking car you know you look at the uh, the 2006 Ford GT and it, it's it has the appearance of a race car it really does but it's not a custom built dragster it's not a car that was built to go 300 miles per hour i don't know what i'm not, i i'm going to spitball here i'm i'm not going to even begin to know the actual number but let's say that the car was designed to go 190 miles per hour that was the top speed and that's what they thought would be maximum on this they didn't test the aerodynamics beyond that for this thing to take off in the air at a certain speed because that's what happens, you know, when when you mess around with the aerodynamics of a vehicle, you know, it becomes a wing and it be you know, you become airborne at a certain point. I mean, small airplanes and well, large airplanes can fly at these speeds and do fly at these speeds. So keeping the car on the ground is a huge issue. There's so much that goes into the, these cars and the modifications that they have to make in order to do this. But a couple things that MK2 Motorsports did to the Ford GT to keep it stock, if you want to put it that way. And I, <laughs> I'm laughing when I say this because when I read this next paragraph, I'm reading from an article that came from a site called The Drive. And it was written just after the record was broken on March 25th of 2019. If you want to go and look at this article, you can do that. It's on The Drive. It's all about the 300.4 mile per hour run. And it says, and I'll, I'll just read this one paragraph directly here, but it says, well, the M2K Motorsports prepped 4GT retains the stock 5.4 liter V8 from the previous generation 4GT. So you're right. It is a stock block and it's stock uh, stock engine size, I guess. It's been, well, they say seriously amped up to deliver stratospheric horsepower that not even a dyno can handle. The guess on this car is 2,500 horsepower. Now, 2,500 horsepower in that car that originally, I don't know what it had, probably, I'm going to, again, I'm going to guess, I don't have the stats in front of me, maybe 500, 600 horsepower at the most, there's somewhere around there, ballpark, to put, you know, to put 2,500 in there, and this is only a guess, by the way, uh, because when they said on a dyno, it's hard to strap a car down in a way, in such a manner that you can test it beyond somewhere roughly around 2,000 horsepower. So it, it does exceed 2,000 they think it goes up to about 2,500, but it's impo- nearly impossible to keep it on the dyno at that point. I mean, with chains and everything. I mean, it's tra- chain straps. We've all seen, you know, those dyno videos of cars breaking the straps or breaking the chains and, you know, just cataclysmic failures that happen, you know, horrifically expensive accidents that happen, you know, in shops. And you know, you don't want to be those those people, you know, that, yeah. that either own the car or hook the car up. You don't want to be <laughs> either one of those on, on either side of that. But 2,500 horsepower is an estimate. And, of course, you know, reaching 300, and we've talked about kind of the... Um, you know, that it's quite an achievement. I, you know, I think we can all agree, right? 
the, the question that was posed by the author of this article is a good one, and he says that typically these types of records that are set by private companies or privateers, I think is what they call them, typically the manufacturers don't get too rattled by these. They don't say like, well, geez, we've, we're building $500,000 supercar. You know, why can't we get ours to go 300 miles per hour? They don't say that to themselves. It's like a different sphere that they're operating in because they know they're not going to create a 2,500-horsepower car you know, that it is specifically built for one event in order to break that one record, and then that's it. And a car company, a big company, just think about the money that they would have to unload on a project like that, and the teams and the testing, and it becomes a logistical nightmare for them to do that. Bugatti has done that in a sense. The question here at the end of this article is kind of funny because they're saying it's, a, it's an impressive feat to reach 300 miles per hour anyway, and to do it in one mile is even more impressive, and then just that it's a private company that was able to do it out of some, and I'm going to say a little shop, but it was a, a motorsports shop. Will they take any notice of this? Will Bugatti take notice of it? Will uh, Koenigsegg take notice of it? Will they Will they be kind of ruffled by this one? <laughs> and again, this is written in March of 2019. Well, in August of 2019, on August 2nd, that's when Bugatti made their 300-mile-per-hour run. And I know they were working on it long before that. I, it doesn't just happen in a couple of months like that. It doesn't work that way. And, but it was a production car, well, and it uh, wasn't in a mile. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and so many other... Okay, the tires. So their tires are really specific in that, remember, they were x-rayed before they even put them on the car in order to make sure they were free of imperfections. And uh, they're not... I don't think that they're doing that with these, you know, these tires on this, this Ford GT. I just don't think that it's happening that way. Yeah. I know I, that they're, they're extreme quality and everything's well-balanced and, and, you know, broken in and, and perfect. It's absolutely perfect. But they didn't go as far as to x-ray the tires before they made the run. And Well, these are tires they have to glue on to the rims. Apparently, tires don't hold up very well at these speeds for very long. No. So we're talking you only have a short amount of time on a set of tires yeah. at yeah. these speeds until they just become obliterated. Yeah, and that's just one element of this, right? I mean, I mean, there's so many things that we mentioned, you know, the aerodynamics, and the, we mentioned that how the, the shape of the body of the, the Bugatti changed, you know, as it went faster and faster. It was on a track. Here's the other thing. Okay, so... <laughs> Gosh, I feel like I'm I'm going crazy or something. I got so much to You're get out. You're nerding out. Yeah, You're nerding out over I, there. I am. I really am. I <laughs> I feel like you know what? Here's what's going to happen, Kurt. Here's what's going to happen. As soon as we're done, and I say you know thanks for listening and all that to our listeners, and you know I, I send them on their way, and they're out you know doing their own research and digging up all the stuff and looking at the Texas Mile and buying tickets and all that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to remember about 10 things I didn't say in this podcast, even though I've been going a mile a minute, just uh, you know, ah, a mile a minute. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> uh, that would be really slow at this, uh, at this competition. Yeah. That'd be <laughs> 60 miles an hour. That's not good at all. Um, all right. So, <laughs> anyway, I, so the, I, I was thinking back and I was thinking, okay, what's, so is this a response to the Texas mile record? I don't, I don't think it is. I think the timing is a little strange. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little suspicious that, you know, they decided, all right, now is the time we're just going to go do it. I just feel like the 300-mile-per-hour mark for a car is that number. Yeah. Now, nowadays. Well, it, nowadays. It's, it's like a 200-mile-an-hour number was, I don't know, when, well, 60s. I was going to say like 25, 30 years ago, maybe, yeah. or, or more. Yeah, it's just... 
it's just a nice round number that takes a lot of fine-tuning to get there. You know? We should talk about someday soon, is 400 coming? But I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, who, Well, technology, uh, the whole talk about tires, that's a limiting factor yeah. in, um, in all of this. And as technology gets better, I'm sure that yeah. we'll be looking at 400 hey, miles an hour. Just, hey, why not? <laughs> well, know? I mean, right now, we to, mentioned the electric car, the Mustang. It's interesting they chose a Mustang from the 60s to do it because the, the combustion Mustang in the 60s, it would be interesting to know what, how fast they could run the Texas mile. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost be. like now electric cars are where combustion engines were in the 60s. Where are they going to be well, 60, 70 years from now? I, where are the combustion engines going to be? Where, where are rubber compounds going to be? And I'll tell you this, you know, boy, again, I'm skipping all over the place. But going back to the Mustang that you just mentioned, you know, the, the 68 Mustang, mm-hmm. the, the electric version that did this Texas Mile run, the, the record run, mm-hmm. they give it an equivalent horsepower rating. You know, how they can you know, kind of extrapolate yeah. what it would be in horsepower? 800 horsepower. Yeah. So that's far, far above what the uh, the 68 Mustang Fastback had, yeah. of course. Um, so it would be interesting to see what the, you know, internal combustion engine version of the 68 Mustang could, could muster in the one-mile run. And yeah. maybe, maybe it's been run there. I mean, you know, out of all the cars, out of 250 yeah, probably twice has. a year... For 16 years, I would guess that somebody has run a 68 Ford Mustang, you know, fastback at some yeah. point. Maybe, yeah. maybe. All right, so back finally. Maybe, maybe we're going to wrap Let's this up. Let's steer back soon. onto the yeah. road here. Scott. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you know, I was thinking about this uh, this Bugatti thing and uh, how they they ran. They did a 304 mile per hour run in August of 2019. So not long after the Texas Mile, uh, you know, was achieved at 300.4. I was watching these and trying to draw comparisons and, you know, contrasts and, you know, to figure out what's happening here. But now remember I said the GT had 2,500 horsepower, and that's an estimate. It might be more, it might be a little less. The Bugatti, of course, had uh, uh, Chiron, had so many modifications, had lots of modifications to it. And, of course, I'm sure that the, the GT does as well. But the big difference here is that this is a road-going production car technically. I mean, it can be sold to the public. It can be driven on the roads, and that's one thing that Bugatti has to deal with that the builders at M2K Motorsport don't have to deal with. They don't have to worry about mass production of this, not mass, but limited production of this one vehicle. It's a one of a kind, and it always will be, but they're dealing with just that one event, that one record, and it's kind of like we run it, we're done with it, and then maybe improve it for next time, but that's it. The other thing that, about this is that Bugatti had a, a quad-turbo W16 that was tuned up to, like, 1,600 horsepower. So it had almost a 1,000, it had, like, 900 less horsepower to get up to this speed. But one thing that is most the most striking about this to me, and the most maybe the most impressive about the Texas Mile and the Ford GT's attempt, or the, the Ford GT's record run, is that... It did it from a standing start, and it only went, you know, those, what is a mile, 5,280 feet, I think. It went that distance and achieved 300.4 miles per hour in that short amount of time. That, I mean, just imagine the force on the human body and the vehicle at that, at that time. When you look at the Bugatti run, and again, all the specifics, the altered body and the tires and the engineers and the teams and everybody involved, fine, maybe, maybe there's some of that going on with the GT, but here's the other thing. They did it at the special track, you know, under very controlled, situ- uh, very controlled conditions that they were able to enter the track at 180 miles per hour. That's where they start at when they enter the straight. Then it takes them the entire five-mile straight to get to 304 miles per hour. 
when you watch the way that the speed grows, and, and I'll be specific here, because remember the half-mile speed for the, uh, the Ford GT? It was 240 miles an hour, and then it got up to 300. If you watch the speed grow on the uh, dials, the readings, or whatever they give you on the YouTube videos for the Bugatti run, once they get to, uh, you know, if they let's say you could even start it at 240, the way that the miles per hour count up is like, is like this. It's like 241, 242. 243, 244. The Ford GT didn't have that luxury. It was like going leaps and bounds up to 300 miles per hour. It was accelerating so fast after the 240 mark that it's just unreal to think about. I mean, considering when you look at the Bugatti and what its intended purpose is, you know, it's intended to go fast. That's what it was built for. Go fast and to break this 300 mile per hour run, this, this particular model, the Chiron, was built for this, this test. And it will be sold, of course, but the way that it grows from 240 to 304 is much, much slower. Still impressive. These are all impressive. Still impressive, but much, much slower than the Ford GT. Yeah, this is a completely different race or test. The Texas Mile seems like a a strict power test. It's a brutal test. (laughs) It's a brutal, brutal test, isn't it? I mean, and the footage from it is incredible to be able to see it. Now, you don't get a lot of of shots of, like, the car at the finish line going by at 300 miles an hour. You don't see that because it's already in the distance it's gone in the spectator area where all the filming and everything's happening. I wish they had more cameras on the track watching the cars go by at that speed, but you're kind of reliant on... You know, the GoPro cameras that are in the vehicle, you know, by the drivers themselves. And, you know, of course, that gets into weight and aerodynamics and all that. Then you're also dealing with the spectator views, people that are there with them on the team to film the event. You don't get a whole lot of, like, sensation of the cars passing you at the top speed. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because they don't want anything on the track that could damage or harm the driver. Or, you know, if there's something went terribly wrong, which sometimes does. You know, anytime you're talking about these speeds, you don't want any obstructions in the way. You want to be able to have plenty of room. They've got a half-mile slowdown area that mm-hmm. they, you know, runoff area with sand at the end and everything. Um, but I just, I find this whole thing fascinating. But yeah, there you know, are other mile events. The Arkansas Mile. The Arkansas Mile. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's another one. Well, okay, well, I'm, you know what? I'm going to immediately look up the Arkansas Mile as soon as we get out of here. I really am. The Colorado Mile is another one. So the Colorado- Arkansas Mile, the Colorado Mile. All right. All right. Well, I'm finding out new things every moment here. Uh, um, but if you don't know anything about the Texas Mile or you know a little bit about it now, you don't, you don't know everything, of course, because we, uh, we're just kind of scraping the surface on this thing. And it's fascinating to watch, really, if you're into that type of racing. It's, it's really, really cool if you just like speed. But there's a lot of a lot of little nuances that you can kind of dig into and, and find out about and, you know, specific drivers and, and types of vehicles that are run there and, you know, current records and all that and what the people are up to in, I guess, the off-season for the Texas Mile, if you want to call it that. They've only run two a year. But, you know, of course, drivers that are competing in this are sometimes competing in other events as well. You know, might make a run to, uh, you know, the desert and run, uh, you know, another top speed run there or something or, you know, go up to Maine and run something. But so it's always fascinating to see what the drivers are doing elsewhere, as, you know, as well. You can look into their shops or whatever. The M2K shop is is very interesting. Very neat cars oh, coming out of there. Gosh. You know, one, and I won't, I won't say anything more about this, but in, in that uh, interview that I saw, mm-hmm. you know, the breaking news that I was, uh, I was talking about, mm-hmm. or, you know, the... Not oh, break. the new car they're making. They are making a new car, yeah. And it was under wraps when they did the um, report from the shop mm-hmm. just after the record was broken. In the corner of the shop, they zoomed into a shot of uh, a car that was under a tarp and completely covered. You couldn't see what was going on there. They got something going that they call Project X. And Project X will make an appearance, they say, in the October Texas Mile. 
Oh, really? Yes. So okay. they say it will be, Project X will appear from M2K Motorsports in the October event. So if you're out in that area or if you just keep your eye on the news, if you can't make it there, keep your eye on uh, M2K Motorsports and see what they're up to with Project X. Or maybe, who knows, maybe, maybe they'll bring back... You know, the, uh, the, the 2006 Ford GT. Yeah, I saw somewhere that they may not be considering the new car for the mile run. It may be a longer run or oh. maybe a different type of run that they're going to try oh, to do with no it. Oh, no kidding. They might be um, making a soft flights run or something. Maybe. Well, this would be a fantastic way for them to kind of, oh, as we said before, shake down or exactly. just kind of test test this vehicle in a mile and see what it does. And what a fantastic place to do it, too. I mean, they've got, you know, the, this amazing facility. Um, we will, you know, make several runs there at the uh, Victoria Regional Airport and, and have a chance to make, what, five or six runs. I think it's just a, a great opportunity for them mm-hmm. uh, to be able to do something with this Project X. So, so watch for that. Any, anything else, Kurt, that you want to add before we wrap up today's show? Uh, no. no I think you got it? I think all right. I think it. I've got it too, but like I said, I've probably neglected to give you all of the information. So if you want to dig into the Texas Mile and find out what it's all about, again, uh, please do so. And uh, if you want to, you can check out our, our new website. You can find our podcast there, of course. We are at the FastTrackShow.com if you want to do that. And we're on other forms of social media as well. We are on Facebook and Instagram as the Fast Track Show. And if you want to go to Twitter and find us, we are the Fast Track Pod. Uh, so a little bit different there. And, of course, you can always, you know, leave reviews on Apple Podcasts or on the iHeartRadio app if you want to or, you know, wherever you happen to get your podcast. And if you like what you're hearing, if you like what you're uh, you're listening to, and I hope you do, I hope you found this, in, you know, informative, entertaining, whatever. I hope you found it interesting enough to listen to doing whatever you're doing. And if you did, you know, tell your friends. We're always trying to find some new listeners, and, uh, and we'll be excited about it. And, of course, we're happy to have you as well. So um, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. The Fast Track is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break. And consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? My check engine light's on. Mm, that could hurt your gas mileage. The AutoZone free fix finder service can help find the fix for free. This whole report for free? That's right. Printed and on your phone for free. But what if the fix is too tough? We'll recommend a local shop. Fix Finder, only at AutoZone. AutoZone. Restrictions apply. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.